You're listening to the Laugh Button Podcast on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Laugh Button Podcast. I am Matt Kleinschmidt, Editor-in-Chief of the Laugh Button Podcast, oh, thelaughbutton.com, and I uh, have with me a special guest today. Hey, I'm Bram Teitelman from Metal Insider, and that's very fortunate. <laughs> uh, as we mentioned last week, Mark is actually not at, uh, Mark is in Japan. Actually, I saw him on Instagram, and he's doing like these, uh, I don't know, he's doing very Japanese things. Like He's wearing like kimonos and... Lights and shit. I saw weird vending machine pictures. <laughs> there were vending machine pictures. And I was tagged in them, <laughs> which leads me to believe that he thinks that I go to vending machines all the time, and I kind of regret that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Mark's not here, so we, ha- we asked Bram from our sister site, Metal Insider, to, uh, to step in. And we're going to keep some- it wacky, guys. Like, <laughs> wacky morning. I got DJ sound effects. I got this. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, that might be punctuated. A gunshot or two. Things are getting zany. Zany, I tell you. Yeah, this might become a morning talk show. Waka waka. Hey, this is... Hey, this is Dan from the helicopter. Traffic is... Whoa, it's nuts. Skeeter in the munch in the mornings. Yeah. On the bus. So, Bram, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's nice to be back. Yeah, I know. It's been a while. It's been I know. I'm sure a couple people tune in every week being like, where's Bram? What, <laughs> That's what, what happened to that says. guy? Like, and that, those people are me. <laughs> They're like, what's going on with Bram? Where the fuck is he? And uh, why is he not on this podcast? Language. Oh, I'm sorry. You can curse on this podcast. Not Fucking not, A. But you can't curse on Skeeter and the Munch. Uh, yeah. The ex doesn't like it. <laughs> the brass upstairs are trying to get me down, man. <laughs> That will, that it's already old, but we're going to do it this entire I podcast. All right. So speaking of this podcast, we have a really, really awesome guest, Bram. Who do we have? We have the one and only Norman Lear. That's fantastic. It is fantastic. I actually was not present for this interview. Mark actually did the interview over over the phone before he went to Japan. But if you guys aren't familiar with Norman Lear, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, you're probably younger than thirty. So that's what it's all about. But you've probably seen on family or he did different strokes, right? Yeah, Maybe? different strokes, Jefferson's, all that stuff. Yeah. But basically Norman Lear wrote the archetype for the modern sitcom. He's 94 years old and he's still kicking around. I mean, he's got a new he's got a new uh, series coming up that he talks about with us that's in the interview. Um, and it's unbelievable like how long enduring Norman Lear has been as far as the impact on modern uh, sitcoms. So we're really excited to have him on there. He's definitely a legend. If you ask half the people in the office, they'll have no idea who Norman Lear is. The other half are like, holy shit, that's a huge get. So, Is it true that the uh, the Learjet was named after him? <laughs> beow, beow, beow. you got to be faster with those. you got to be faster <laughs> with those. Uh, but no, the mm. Learjet was not named after Norman Lear. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> See, it's a learning experience here at the Laugh Button Podcast. Yeah, sorry, dude. So sorry. Yeah, so uh, we have Norman Lear on. He's actually the interview, and he's... Uh, you know, he's got a really crazy history. I mean, like, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Jeffersons, One Day at a Time, All in the Family, Maud, uh, Sanford and Son, uh, all the spinoffs from Sanford and Son, the Andy Williams special. Like, it, it goes on and on. I mean, the guy's been in the business since the 1940s. I'm sorry, 1950s, his first his first credit on IMDb. It's, it's unbelievable. Every edgy comedy in the 70s. Yeah. And he's the brainchild of. Yeah, 100%. And then you have modern-day... Uh, 
sitcoms that kind of follow that kind of like follow his lead like the Carmichael show on NBC Gerard Carmichael is straight up trying to do Norman Lear on his show he's admitted it he's not like oh my god it's a new thing he's like I want to do an all in the family Norman Lear style sitcom so. Lucky Louie kind of a little bit yeah. if you want to well, go back to yeah, that yeah absolutely Lucky Louie was definitely one of them he's probably yeah. also the oldest guest we've ever had on the Life on podcast am I right <laughs> he is but uh, he's probably the most experienced and the most decorated so I think uh, maybe they go hand in hand Sure. All right. Most high profile and old. Pew, pew, pew. Nope. Not doing nope, that. Nope. Didn't happen. Okay. I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah. There we go. By the way, Mark is going to kill us both. I'm going to throw. I'm going to put Mark, my phone down. Mark is going to be like, "We're done." I'm a radio professional. I've been doing radio for years. I'm Mark Seaman. <laughs> it's Mark's as high. Okay. So, oh, dude. Oops. So let's go some of the news stories of the week, okay? The biggest one that kind of you actually tipped me off to was the lawsuit from Harry Shearer about this is Spinal Tap. How about that? Yeah, dude, it's fucking nuts. What's the, what's the, what's the lowdown on that? Well, apparently he's uh, filed a $125 million lawsuit on Monday yeah. against Vivendi, the um, film company. And he says that he made they've made, between all of them, like... The three stars and yeah. Rob Reiner. Yeah. Also another on the family Christopher throwback. Gass, there Michael we go. McKee and Rob Reiner. Yeah, I know, yeah. but I'm just trying to tie together yeah, the, the dude, normally. That, that's, anyway, that's what we're doing. Uh, Ninety-one dollars from sales of the soundtrack and sixty-one dollars for merchandise. Something. It's, it's something bum. ridiculous. It's under a hundred dollars divided amongst three of the creative team plus Rob Reiner, basically. Listen, I've seen <laughs> that movie and quoted it enough that I feel like I owe them a hundred dollars. I was going to say you personally, indi- you individually, personally, probably owe them more than a hundred dollars for that too so yeah it's crazy though but like first of all Harry Shearer with his Simpsons money he has no reason to like he's not like in dire straits but he wants the right or wrong basically and they're they're basically the lawsuit um, by the way yes he's in Spinal Tap not Dire Straits (laughs) 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 I put that down I can't can't keep it going (laughs) Um, so basically yeah if you go to the website fairnessrocks.com you see a video from Harry Shearer kind of breaking it all down. But Harry Shearer has a lot of money from The Simpsons, but Harry Shearer is also one of these guys who's very much about, like, I remember when Hurricane Katrina happened, he did a documentary about that, too. So he's, he's I don't want to say he's about all about righting wrongs, but he is uh, very aware and very cognizant of things that happen when this, uh, when, when something's, when there's a wrong, he wants to be, have it rectified. And yeah, he's kind of like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for all the people that don't have a voice. Exactly. That's kind of the idea of behind it because like if he can get a lawsuit like this to pass it kind of sets a precedent for other people to kind of file suit and actually make money off of the art that they create basically good on you harry and shame on you vivendi (laughs) yeah i mean it's nuts i mean just it's like like literally like as you said uh the soundtrack net them 98 dollars between 1989 and 2006 98 dollars like you spend more that on like an easy pass per month that's ridiculous yeah it's kind of crazy so yeah i think it's unbelievable that that if that is actually the true uh, if that actually happened, it's like, whoa, I don't know how that went down, but $125 million seems like a very reasonable amount of money for this spinal tap. I would say so. Yeah, me, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the other thing's got going on the website, we actually have uh, an exclusive first listen at Matthew Broussard's new record. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Matthew Broussard, but he is a comedian who has a new half hour up this week. 
uh, we first caught wind of Matthew Broussard from all the roast battles that were happening on the West Coast. And he actually did the Roastmasters Inter- in, uh, Invitational out in uh, Just for Last uh, Montreal, the first one, 2005, the one that wasn't aired on Comedy Central. And he actually made it to the finals. It was him versus Jimmy Carr. He ultimately lost against Jimmy Carr, but the fact that he made it that far, he was a new face at the time, and he made it to basically the very end and lost to like a king. It's like, oh, wow. So his new special's up. We have a copy of his, uh, we have a track from his new record. You can give that a listen to. Matthew Broussard, definitely a name you'll, you'll hear more of in the future. This is first half hour? Yes, this is first half hour. He's also like a good looking dude. He makes a lot of jokes about how preppy he looks too, so I'm sure that that uh, will probably help propel him along in the comedy. In the comedy sure, business. he'll have a failed Fox sitcom before we know it. <laughs> Just kidding, Sean. We love you. Oh, Speaking of Fox sitcoms, I don't know where that, that translates at, nothing. But I do want to talk about some new shows that are basically, uh, that a new show, well, a show that got greenlit. Harmon Town, oh, I'm sorry, Harmon Quest from CISO, which is the Dan Harmon, who creator of Community, which mm-hmm. was on NBC, not Fox. Damn, couldn't make it happen. Beow, beow, beow. <laughs> uh, that'll be our transition music. So like when you can't really transition, we'll just make the sound. How about a gunshot? You get okay, a gunshot. We'll gunshot it. <laughs> Skeeter in the munch. The buzz. <laughs> so CISO's renewed Harmon Quest for season two, which is Dan Harmon's uh, live action slash animated, basically he's playing Dungeons and Dragons role playing. And it kind of spawns from his podcast, his popular podcast, Harmon Town. And uh, it's actually super funny. It's on CISO. Definitely give it a watch. But they actually greenlit a season two. That news just came down. Is it today. the first thing that CISO's uh, renewed? No. Uh, they've renewed billion, uh, bajillion dollar properties. They renewed a couple other things. But they also renewed uh, Jay Okerson's What's Your Fucking Deal, which are taping in New York next month. We actually have all that information up on the laughbutton.com too. So I'll be there. That. Yeah, I'm going too. Um, the difference between last, the first season and this season, from what I understand, is they're actually going to have a different comedian doing the roaming mic. Last year, it was all Artie Fuqua, and this year, it's actually a different comedian every time. So, um, Is there going to be like a cliffhanger where he actually finds out what the fucking deal is? <laughs> or like, who shot JR? <laughs> <laughs> uh, another new show, which I was actually talking to you about this this morning. Oh, good transition, good. Another show that was <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Another show that uh, another show that actually got got greenlit this week is the new Doug Benson show. We were talking about this this morning. It's fucking nuts, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it involves marijuana, right? <laughs> Shocking enough, it involves it involves Doug St- uh, Doug Benson getting high. So, basically, the idea behind it is it's called the High Court, THC. Okay, I get it. Yeah, it's going to go 15 minute style Adult Swim like, like basically. So it's all going to be on Comedy Central. It's going to air in 2017, and it's basically, I think, if my suspicions are correct, this might be that 12 o'clock midnight kind of spot that At Midnight had, and At Midnight's going to stay at 11:30 until they figure out, or indefinitely go with At Midnight 11:30 until they figure out what's going on with like uh, the Larry Wilmore replacement show. But this show, basically, the premise is. Uh, People in a civil court, basically like, you know, the small claims court, basically, Mm -hmm. uh, they agree that whatever Doug Benson rules, they'll go with, which I think is funny just to begin with. (laughs) So he hears them, Judge Judy, people's court style. Okay. And then he goes to his chambers with a guest comedian. They get fucking stoned, and then they decide what to do. (laughs) Because I definitely want someone really high deciding my fate. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, it's not things that go to jail. It's like, do you pay $200 for this broken thing or $300 for this broken thing? I've got to say, it sounds like the Doug Benson-iest Doug Benson <laughs> that ever Doug Benson. It is. And it actually was inspired from that show, Getting Doug with High, that Jash show. So Jash is actually executive producer of the show, which makes total sense. But uh, yeah, Doug Benson basically getting stoned. The High People's Court, essentially. <laughs> basically, the High Court, THC. No, see, the High People's Court didn't work because there's a P in there and then he couldn't call it THC. Uh, I see what you did, or he did. I, I was going to say, I didn't do anything. It was all Doug Benson doing that. <laughs> Doug Benson and marijuana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, do you remember... Transition. Uh, do you remember... The buzz. The buzz. Do you remember a couple months ago when Samuel... Nope. <laughs> Thanks, Bram. I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you remember a couple months ago when Samuel L. Jackson narrated the new season of Game of Thrones? Like, he caught you all up on stuff? Yes. He was like, motherfucking dragons! And Bran, Bran's tripping. Well, they did that for The Walking Dead, but they didn't get Samuel L. Jackson to narrate it. They got John Cleese from Mighty Python to narrate it. And he's like, here's what you missed on all six seasons of Walking Dead. He's like... Walkles of this and of that, and yeah, it's fucking bonkers. But we have that up on the website. It's a really funny video. I think The Walking Dead premieres this Sunday. This Sunday. And they're, uh, they're still walking. They are still walking. Not Christopher. Not, not alive yet, either. Not Christopher walking, but they're still no. walking. Um, Who's what, still also still alive. What you, uh, The Walking Dead. We actually had uh, Don Jameson do Twitter reviews on The Walking Dead on the website for a while. Yeah, it was a great concept. He didn't watch it at all, and he just wrote about what people tweeted about. Which I think was great, and he also did it for uh, Game of Thrones as well, which I think is fucking... Oh, uh, yeah, he called it Game of Thorns the whole Game time. Game of Thorns the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, no, Don, it's called Game of Thrones. But uh, basically, yeah, he didn't review any... He didn't review or watch a second of the TV show. Just basically, it was like, oh, what is... These people are all pissed off about this person dying. I want to talk that shit, so... Fucking bonkers, man. Fucking bonkers. Um, so, yeah. So, we have... Uh, I don't even know how we got on that tangent, but Walking Dead is premiering this week, and John Cleese is doing a, the, the, the most John Cleesiest of John Cleese things that John Cleese could ever... John Cleese. <laughs> you got to stop hitting the thing because I keep hearing it. <laughs> I like it because it makes a really loud noise in your ears and annoys you. Yeah. Um, dude, I feel like... Uh, <laughs> another transition. <laughs> Oh, that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, well, the cops are coming. <laughs> they heard all that weed talk. <laughs> all right, so a lot. we're in the prime of election season. All right? And a ton of shit's happening. Yeah, who's got your vote? Well, I mean, like, you know, we don't want to talk politics, but I, I'm, I'm voting for Hillary. I'm, 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 I'm with her, I guess, is the ultimate. Really? I, I got that out of you. I wasn't even, I, was, I thought you were no, going to play I, neutral. I mean, I, I'm not afraid to say who I'm voting for. I'm with Hillary. Here's how I vote. I don't vote on economics usually because no matter who's in office, it's rich dudes deciding what rich dudes are going to pay other rich dudes, basically. And my money never really, you know, I don't really make enough money to have an impact. I just like, you know, so that's, I don't ever really think about it from the economics point of view. <clears throat> I do think about it from the social point of view. I'm a very social voter. I believe that gay marriage is, 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 a, is something that should happen. I believe that transgender rights should be there. I believe that people of different skin color, that's not crazy white dude, should have a right to live how they want to live and worship who they want to worship. So That's crazy talk. It is, I know. I'm just kidding. I, I'm totally on board <laughs> with know, everything I you know. just said. So, so I always vote socially. That's 99% of the time you'll find me voting socially. Like I like being on the right side of history when it comes to civil rights and all that kind of stuff. So that's why I'm voting with Hillary Clinton. I think Hillary Clinton will continue 
continue a lot of the good work that Barack Obama has done for minorities and people of uh, you know the non-straight uh, persuasion, and uh, that's why I'm voting Hillary. The proceeding was a paid message from the Hillary Clinton for President Foundation. <laughs> then play Simon and Garfunkel in the background or something like that. So yeah, so that's kind of how I vote. I've always kind of voted that way. I've always sure. voted more on the social issues than the economic issues. Um, I, I don't think Hillary Clinton's a perfect candidate, but I don't think any, anyone is. So like you know, and emails don't bother me. I, I I'm just voting just uh, th- this election. I'm voting for the. Um, Least fucking batshit crazy person. That's the other thing too. That's, yeah, that's who I mean, I'm voting. You know, for. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people in their good, in their right mind can vote for Trump, but at the same time, I know plenty. Hey, sure, I, I, I teach their own. <laughs> um, anyway, so but with that being said, so much political stuff has happened this last week in the comedy realm from SNL having the highest ranked episode in the last eight years from Emily Blunt hosting because of the the, the redux of the Trump-Clinton debate. Really? On, uh, well, yeah, between Kate McKinnon and Alec, and Alec uh, Baldwin. It was crazy. That so last week's was the highest rated in eight years? Eight years. Wow. Well, it's that, and I actually kind of mentioned this before, but like SNL, this is their Sailor, Sarah Palin, Tina Fey moment. Of course, but I would have assumed that the season premiere might have been a little higher. You know what, though? I think what happened is people watched it some people didn't care, and then people, then word of mouth got them back. Like, oh, Baldwin does a great Trump on SNL. So they're currently having their Tina Fey moment, uh, Palin moment. I also think Weekend Update's been like on fire. Michael K, Michael Che, Colin Jost, they've been on fire. So. Yeah, they found their uh, they found their chemistry, they just like you did. and I are, Matt. Yeah, what can I say? Sorry, Mark. <laughs> but with that, the reason I bring this up is because you had that going down. Family Guy spoofs the Trump. Uh, Billy Bush conversation on the bus. They that was kind of great. It was kind of great. We have that up on the website too. Um, basically, Stephen Colbert hosted President Obama this week to talk about how, how polishing up his resume. That happened this week too. Um, Aziz Ansari released a viral video about voting uh, because to quote him, we got a we got a mother. He's like he, he he does this whole clip. He's like DiCaprio did one of these. Robert Downey Jr. did one of these. Jennifer Lawrence is on one of these. Why the fuck do you need me in one of these? There's all bigger stars than me. <laughs> He goes, how do you? How many more people need to convince you to vote? He basically says, we got a motherfucker in office that doesn't like running for president that doesn't like brown dudes. And he doesn't believe in climate change. In 2016, this motherfucker doesn't... So Aziz goes off on this crazy rant. He's like, I'm on my fucking lunch break. Just fucking vote millennials. He's basically screaming at millennials to vote. I also feel like Trevor Noah's kind of finding his footing, too. 100%. It's been about a year now since Trevor Noah was taking over The Daily Show. And I don't know if you've watched it lately. But he's definitely firing on all cylinders. You know? I've seen uh, clips on Facebook. They're yeah, doing yeah. a really good job of actually putting stuff up like the next day. and They they are. And they actually hired Barrington Day Thurston, who was really big in that whole like online digital space. He used to write for, uh, I want to say National Lampoon's, uh, not National Lampoon's, uh, but uh, The Onion. Okay. He was a writer of uh, the Onion. He did a lot of stuff in that. He actually has his own. Uh, he actually has his own company now too. So, anyway, um, basically they hired him to kind of like they did. They've done some web only stuff with Trevor Noah. Uh, the web only stuff he tends to kind of be a little bit more uh, open about who he sides with, like because he went on a ramp about Trump online. And yeah. granted, he makes fun of him on the TV show, but online he actually kind of did a little bit more like biting on it. And Trevor Noah has definitely come a long way at the Daily Show. He's no longer, and John Stewart needed to do this too when John Stewart took over the Daily Show. He wasn't instantly John Stewart like that. The, that first that that presidential election in two thousand really kind of helped John Stewart become John John Stewart. Um, 
not 2000, I want to say, was it Indecision 2001? Whatever was, the Al Gore, when is Al Gore and George Bush and the, the hanging Chad and all the farms? That was 2000. Okay, 2000. So. And I feel like it's stretched into 2001. <laughs> they always do. Because your Chad was hanging. My Chad was hanging. It's hanging now, actually. You should probably pull that <laughs> but, out, Matt. But Trevor Noah went from like, okay, I'm sitting. <laughs> but Trevor Noah went from, oh, I'm sitting in dad's chair. Two, this is my chair. Like they, they've did, done a few format tweaks to the show, nothing super major. But I do think that the show has actually now kind of found a rhythm and it's kind of hitting. I think Roy Wood Jr. is a breakout. I think Jordan Klepper is a breakout. I think Desi Lydic is a breakout on the show too. So if you haven't watched The Daily Show in a while, they're really doing great stuff over there. And I think it's fantastic because like it, I know some people definitely tune into The Daily Show and they're like, all right, this isn't John Stewart, I'm out. But uh, it, it's. It's definitely, uh, I don't want to say it's the same Daily Show you remember, but it's just as good, if not better, because it kind of has a different opinion on it. Trevor is a minority. He has a different opinion on things than Jon Stewart does. He's from South Africa. He has a different, he has a more of a global view about how politics works. Yeah, John Stewart's from South Jersey. <laughs> and not that John Stewart's not an unintelligent dude. But oh, he's like, great. But, like, but Trev- it took him a long time to get to where he is. But Trevor Noah has also written comedy specials about well, he has a he's a comedy special called Born a Crime because he is a child of mixed race and he was a child of mixed race born during the apartheid in South Africa. So it was illegal for him to exist. That really doesn't kind of fucks with you at some point or that really shapes your worldview. So uh, definitely tune into The Daily Show because it's doing great things. <coughs> Excuse me. You're going to edit that out? That call? <laughs> We're keeping it all in there. So, yeah, so politics have definitely kind of like really kind of permeated like the pop culture of things that are going on right now, too. So it's kind of crazy how like the debate is being framed by that. But I also think it's a really great thing, too. The one thing I want to the last thing I want to talk about as far as the politics are concerned is I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on at Second City. Did we talk about this? Uh, we touched on it. Okay. Basically... Second City had a mass exit of cast. Now, if you don't know Second City, I, I'm... Then you shouldn't be listening to this well, podcast. Well, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Yeah. But Second City is basically... It's an improv troupe in, in Chicago, the Second City. And it literally... Mike Myers, Tina Fey, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, uh, Harold Ramis, uh, pretty much anyone who's been anyone in modern comedy of the last 40 years has probably come from there. Basically, your three main comedy... Areas where people kind of be, where people kind of like get into the comedy space. It's Second City, UCB, the Groundlings. That's usually where people kind of find their improv roots. Not everyone, but that's kind of like they're really they make up a large chunk of that stuff. Of course, yeah. But uh, Second City had five or six castmates or people on staff basically quit in a very quick period of time, and they're blaming the crowds out out of Second City. Now, not all the crowds. They're just think it's a more of a a few eggs spoiling the bunch, but they've seen an uptick in basically what they what they're calling Trump emboldened racist uh, behavior. Basically, um, people are saying a little bit more racist stuff from the crowds, and it's crazy to think that because it's Chicago. You know, it's not the South. It's not this. It's not that. It's more like the Wild West with what's going on with all the shootings, but that's a whole different story we won't well, get into Rock right now. South Chicago. Yeah. But basically what they're saying is like people aren't nearly as quick to kind of hold their tongue or something they would say behind closed doors. They're actually being empowered to say it out in, in, uh, in, in public, basically. So like the example they give in one of these, example, in one of these instances is – Someone asked the crowd, hey, we need, uh, what's a minor irritation you have, like waiting in traffic or something like that? And someone who was sitting next to a family of Mexican people said, 
sit next to fucking Mexicans like loud. It's like, who says that? I mean, that's pretty reprehensible. It is. But people have been heckling for a while. They have, but you don't like, heckle. Like, maybe, maybe the guy knew the Mexicans. Maybe it's just fucking, like... But that's just one example, Bram. But, like... I'm not condoning racism no, no, I'm not or standing up for it. I'm not saying you are, but it's just, it's just crazy that that is something that someone feels like, oh, because of politics and because of the, the rise of, like, this... Of, uh, the, you know, the, the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction. Like, it's actually... It's affecting comedy clubs and improv clubs. It's kind of a nuts idea. It's the crazy. thing that sucks is that we're going to have a new president on November 9th, and regardless of who it is, that's not going to go well, away. Isn't it technically that January is a, 21st? What? Who? It's technically January 21st, but they're, they're selected well, on November 9th. Well, all right. Yes, you're right. Fine. Let's get technical, shall hey, we? I'm just bow, saying bow, that... Bow. <laughs> I'm just saying this isn't going to go away. It's, no. And the, the pot has been stirred, and people are going to be angry one way or the other. Well, I think that's why... They're going to feel even more emboldened, or they're going to be like... They're well, just trying to hold us down. Well, I think that does come from like the whole... I don't know why that was a southern accent. I, I think We're talking it does come from a lot of that comes from the red state, blue state mentality. And the us versus them as opposed to the bipartisanship reaching across the aisle type of ideas. And, um, you know, I, it's very easy to separate and divide a, a group of people. And, you know, that's why I think when it also comes to elections, it's like this person, whoever is elected, is going to govern all people of the United States. So, like, that's what you got to realize. It's like... You get a little bit dirty with your campaigns or whatever you say during your campaign. It's like you got to realize you got to work with everyone afterwards. So you don't want to necessarily burn every bridge you have. So it's kind of crazy that they're talking about we're talking about things that we all thought were eradicated or we thought would be eradicated with the election of like a black president. We we're like, oh, we're super progressive and America, aren't we great in 2008? Maybe worse. And then all of a sudden now Maybe it's like, worse. shit, man, shit's going to go worse. It's like the pendulum has swung the other way. It's there's been so it's interesting. But when you have a presidential candidate claiming that the election is rigged even before he or she loses. All right, I'm talking about Trump, him. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I get what you're saying, though, but like that is that is definitely it's nuts. It's dangerous talk, but it's also, at the same time, it's not, it's kind of against the idea of like what, like, I mean, like, I look at, I think it's funny we're having this conversation with the fact that we have like a guy like Norman Lear on, uh, as our guest today, because sure. all in the family... The reason someone like Archie Bunker worked so well, um, and I think the reason one of the reasons that satire is important, but it, yet at the same time it uh, might almost be considered futile by some people, is Archie Bunker was a character that almost was created to mock those types of people, but he was so on point with being that person that yeah, people that, people that identified with him. him thought he was not on our side, or what is he was on our side. Absolutely. And... Um, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, we were talking about this the other day, too, is he, Malcolm Gladwell puts up a great point about Stephen Colbert. And basically, he says, Stephen Colbert, the character, was so good at being the character of Stephen Colbert that he wonders if him being satirical and mocking a right-wing pundit actually backfired because he was so good at it, you couldn't tell... If you were mocking that person or you're just being that person. So, absolutely. So, Democrats are like, oh my God, he's ripping that guy apart. And the Republicans are like, oh my God, he is us or whatever side of the party you aligned you fall. Yeah. I mean, so as, as bad as the Second City thing is, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, Reagan was president, there were so many more punk and hardcore bands and yeah. edgy comedy because people had something to rage against and react yeah. against. So, you do regardless of what happens, yeah. you're going to probably see a golden age of comedy. 
Yeah. Even you, though we're already in one. Yeah, you do see that. I mean, like, you know, like, I mean, at least for, like, not the hack shit, but, like, you do see that, like, I don't think people made fun of, I don't think comedians made a lot of jokes about Barack Obama, but they made a ton of jokes about George W. Bush. Sure. Um, is that because of Obama was kind of the liberal and usually your average comedian? Not all of them. There's definitely some conservative comedians out there. But like most comedians in major cities, at least, have more of a liberal viewpoint of the world. I think he wasn't a very easy person to make fun of because he did so much good. I Well, there's that. But I also think like, you know, there's plenty to make fun of with Barack Obama. But like, but here's the other question I, I got to ask, like. Do you think people didn't make fun of him because they didn't want to be considered racist? That's a very realistic possibility as well. It's it is. It's people didn't want to have that. So it's interesting how it all shakes out. I'm, I'm actually really curious to see how this all happens because you are right. You you end up governing the entire people, and you are right. It kind of awoken this beast. Um, but I do think that, you know, it kind of – it's it's, it's crazy because you have – can you like the question's been asked a million times is like is there can there be a right wing version of the daily show people have tried they've tried and it's never worked is it because the deal is because is that because conservatives don't know how to make fun of themselves don't know how to laugh or too serious i don't really have an answer for that but every time they try to make those they don't seem to last that long um yeah they're just not that funny yeah, but but dude, there's conservative people out there on this planet that are hilarious. Absolutely. You know what I mean? The Donald first, Trump? <laughs> no, but like actual <laughs> No, but like actual comedians. Like Nick DiPaolo is a conservative comedian. Absolutely. Tim Dillon is a conservative comedian. Yep. These are funny guys. These aren't like idiots. Yep. Um Victoria so, Jackson, hysterical. <laughs> Victoria Jackson. <laughs> That's what you need to sound like, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, not sorry. It's what you are. But like, that's the point I'm trying to make. Is like, so there are definitely are conservative people out there that are funny people. So it's like, why does conservative? Uh, why is there not a conservative version of a Daily Show, even though they've tried? So I don't have a particular great answer for it. Me neither. It is, but it is these questions, and I do think that you know. You're absolutely right that when there's more of an oppression, uh, when when the middle class feels more of an oppressed vibe, it does kind of tend to squeeze out better art. Whether it be music, whether it be comedy, whether it be whatever it is. So, I don't know, man. These are all thoughts that I really, I, you need someone who's not as dumb as me to kind of wrap my head around. <laughs> Just kind of farting them into the wind. So, yeah. Uh, I have sound effects. <laughs> yeah, you do have sound effects too. So, okay, with that being said, let's cut to our interview with Norman Lear, the great Norman Lear on the Laugh Button Podcast. Well, Norman, I, I got to say, uh, you know, when I was growing up as a child, um, my, my parents introduced me to your work because they always believed that laughter um, was the gateway to understanding. And, and they meant that, uh, especially with very complex issues, you know, something you obviously tackled throughout your entire career and, and something that was challenging for them to explain to a kid. And they, they found that laughter was able to do that. And, and help them explain things. And yeah, here's how I think it works. I, I think if you think about it, uh, the best metaphor is an intravenous. You have an intravenous in your arm. When you are laughing, uh, you accept into yourself um, uh, ideas that you may uh, w- would never listen to. You would uh, automatically turn off. You are utterly involved in listening when you're laughing. 
and even a, a, an idea that might otherwise repel you, it gets to you. You, you, you are hearing it because that intravenous is there. That's the way I view laughter. My, my wife and I, after we got married, uh, you, you know, we watch a lot of TV together late at night before we go to bed and, and we watch a bunch of your shows and, and she happens to be from Puerto Rico and, and I'm from the United States and, and it always comes up that, you know, 50, even 50 years ago, this relationship almost couldn't have happened and, and would be something that would be frowned upon and, and a very difficult thing to pull off. But I, I feel with, with your work, you really helped make things like that okay and letting know that, hey, we're all human. And I think at the, at the base of just who we are as people, and, and this is greatly explained in your, your new documentary, that uh, we're all just other versions of each other, right? And, well, that, that's the title of the documentary, and it came, <laughs> it came interestingly enough from my bumper sticker, which for some years has read, Just Another Version of You. That's the way I feel about it. We are all, despite our, the difference in skin colors or ethnicities or religions, or we are basically, as human beings, versions of one another. Do you think it's interesting that the more um, granular we get with, with uh, our likes and, and what we pursue and, and all these different avenues through technology we can, we can pursue, that we almost become more segregated in a way because you find what you like and you can go so far down that path that you almost become naive to everything else that's that's surrounding you. Do you, do you think that's kind of going on in society today? Well, it, yeah, yes, but it also is as, uh, as much as a result of the fact that there is no conversation anywhere going on uh, that unites us. You know, uh, you think about a 1,500-mile river, the climate changes along that 1,500 miles along that route constantly, and when the climate changes, the shrubbery along the, the trees, the whatever vegetation along the river bank will change. But the water that nurtures it all is the same. And the human spirit is the same as that. I think I love that metaphor because we all represent the, uh, the, the, the water. We're all different with the different climates and the other, you know, cultural climates and so forth and uh, what we're born into. But it is the same river in terms of our spirit and our, our, our common humanity that unites us. We don't talk about that enough. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I feel like anytime an issue does come up, uh, I don't want to say we don't get anywhere with it, but it, it seems like everyone's already chosen their side and then they just go, well, I've made my decision and there's no reason to discuss it. And I'll stand in my corner and you'll stand in yours and hopefully we can still be friends. Well, uh, look at the, the decision I think the, the American culture has come to. Uh, that uh, the media has not called attention to. And that is its fascination to the degree it is fascinated and it's uh, uniting around Donald Trump. I think when now that started, this was the American people, uh, Donald Trump represented the middle finger of their right hand. They were saying, this is the kind of leadership you offer us, take this, screw you. And, uh, and I think to some degree it's true to this minute, but we've not recognized it. 
you know, we, we this country believes it's uh, it's well led in uh, every. Let me go the other way. It is not well. We have no real leadership in business. In business, where you know, we we live by. Uh, uh, the motive that uh, corporate America must uh, have a co- have a uh, profit statement this quarter larger than the last. That's what motivates everything that goes on in corporate America. When nothing, nothing in nature suggests that anything can grow forever, the American corporation has to grow from quarter to quarter. I mean, if that isn't uh, we're uh, we're on a comedy button, if that isn't the biggest joke, <laughs> I don't know what is. Yeah. Well, do you think that, um, you know, with what you were able to achieve with with all of your work, do you think it's going to take something like, uh, you know, I don't want to say another Norman Lear, but but uh, some form of entertainment that's going to, you know, reflect what's actually happening back onto the people to help them understand something like that and, and for us to be able to fix a problem? Because it seems like nowadays, it, unless an entertainer or somebody famous or somebody who has a million followers on whatever social media platform, no one's going to listen. And and I feel like with television, what you were able to do, people listened because they saw, they reacted, we, we discussed, we progressed. Do you think we're going to need that again, almost another wave of, of the next Norman Lear to change things? Well, you know, there, there's more talk about that. You know what those shows meant and how they changed things. And you know, when I see all the difficulty we're in, I don't think they changed anything. Mm-hmm. They called attention to what's going on right now uh, in their time. Uh, you know, Dwight Eisenhower warned us when he was leaving office uh, that uh, after after steering us through World War II, our commanding general, two terms Republican. Uh, uh, a great Republican and a great general and a great leader and he warned us about the military industrial complex and in his first draft he called it the military industrial congressional complex which is eating us alive right now I think mm-hmm. you know we are we are slaves to it and nobody is talking about it and when there were 17 people running for the presidency for the can- as candidates for the presidency of the United States on the Republican ticket, you never heard one person invoke the memory of Dwight David Eisenhower. Yeah, it's pretty. That, it's pretty crazy. And that, that I think is because he warned us about the the difficulties we would face mm-hmm. in a military-industrial congressional complex, which I think we're living in. Well, Norman, if if I could switch gears here for a minute and. Uh... I really want to talk to you about the the character naming process, and uh-huh. you are creating these characters, and you're developing, you know, their backgrounds, and and you know, I've asked comedians and writers and people that have produced shows, and what really goes into naming a character, and you know, it, it could be as as simple as like a hard C sound, or it could be. Uh, that the name rhymes, or uh, did you have a process to naming your characters with all the shows you created? No, I mean, uh, I, I can't think of a process. It did occur to me that uh, I like Bunker because uh, the word bunk was in it, and we were going to hear a lot of bunk. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, love, I remember my wife, I was married to at the time, 
just said, there's nobody in Queens that could, would be named Archibald. <laughs> and that's what you had to be named in order to be called Archie. But I loved Archie for this character. So, uh, I don't know, it's just an ordinary course of thinking that you arrive at these names. Sure. I don't know how we arrived at Edith. Uh, it wasn't Edith in the first, and it wasn't Archie in the very first draft. So, mystery. Yeah. Now, Norman, are, are there words that will always just make you laugh when you hear them? Like, they're, they're automatically funny to you? Like, just words that have been created in the English language make you laugh, make you giggle? Well, they're, they're, they're after all my experience in, uh, you know, with episode after episode, there were lines. Uh, that uh, there was a line of uh, of uh, mods that will make me laugh, uh, you know, thinking about it 90 times a month. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, so, I mean, there are lines that yeah, haunt me that will make me laugh, but I can't think of a word. It, uh, you you uh, mentioned the, uh, the C sound, the K sound. Right. I remember there was a line of thinking in, among comedy writers that you know if you're going to deal with a city, find a Poughkeepsie that has or something that has a K sound in it. Absolutely, <laughs> because it, it was funnier. Now, uh, what did you learn about yourself working with everyone who put together this documentary for PBS? You know, because there's obviously a lot in there, and it spans your whole career and. And, you know, we get to learn a lot about you and what's really important in your core. Uh, but did you learn anything about yourself when you, you did take the time to really, you know, relive those memories? Yes, I learned, I, I learned a lot. I, I uh, you know, I, I learned, uh, you know, I, as human beings, I don't know that we take ourselves seriously enough. And... Uh, because of the, you know, I was uh, performing in the media and uh, was in everybody's face through these shows and so forth. Uh, I had reason, perhaps, to, you know, the media was giving me reason to think of my, take myself more seriously. Now, I don't mean that in a uh, look at me, look what I've done. I mean that just my own humanity, my own personhood. Uh, and I'm learning to do that more every day of my life. You know, when I said earlier, it's take, or I think I said, uh, it's taken me every split second of my life, every split second, to get to this moment where I'm saying this to you now. That is a heavy, wonderful thought. It's an amazing it's, thought. And, and, and that's that's why I love interviewing people and talking to people, because for some reason, our timelines intersected today, and that fascinates me, you know? Yes, and, and, and when I think that it took you every split second, but I mean every. Absolutely. <laughs> of your life to get here to talk to me and the engineer who put us together every split second of his or her life, it's amazing. It is, it truly is, and, and I love that big picture thinking. It's, it's, uh, it's so fascinating. Uh, one more question for you, and, and I can't thank you enough for the time. It's it's a pleasure and an honor to talk As to I you. As I said at the beginning, every minute it took every split second of your time. <laughs> to, you know, we're even. We're even. Okay, we'll call it even. I appreciate that. These um, these theme songs that were attached to your work have inspired me to become a jingle writer. Uh, it's something I do on the side, and it's so much fun to almost tell a story 
within 20 to 30 seconds, and, and it's almost its own art form. And uh, your shows have had some of the more memorable theme songs of all time. Is there one that sort of stands out to you still to this day that it, if we were to go karaoke tonight, you'd be willing to do one? Well, because I'm doing uh, now this uh, Latina version of the Jeffersons, and uh, Gloria Estefan and her husband have done the uh, Spanish version of this of the original One Day at a Time theme song. Mm-hmm. Have done their version of it. Uh, uh, you call it more a Cuban version of it, and it's just glorious. I love it. Uh, but when you say uh, what you said about what you can say in thirty seconds musically in these things, it's you know. Uh, I, I I love that, and it's so true because uh, you know as I travel the country and I hear people talk about moving on up <laughs> and good times, and it's fabulous. Stay at it. Let me send me some of those songs. I would absolutely love to. It would be uh, it'd be my honor. Well, Norman, thank you so much for the time, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime, and and in, in an off-campus way, as I call it, you know, more leisurely and less you know, specifically with journalism. But uh, congrats on all the success you've ever had. Much continued success. And I'll, I'll leave you with my favorite expression in the English language, to be continued. I love it. it it's it's going to grow on you. You'll see. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. A pleasure. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. All right. That was an interview with Norman Lear. That was quick. <laughs> Did you learn anything about, about Norman Lear? I, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So, I want to thank Norman Lear for being on the podcast. I want to thank Mark for being in Japan. So, you could be on Good the job. podcast. Good job. Way uh, to go to Japan. <laughs> yeah, that's how we roll, you know. That's how we roll. So, uh, so yeah. I want to uh, thank Norman Lear for being on the podcast. Go to the website. We have so much stuff happening on the website right now. Uh, we're running contests to get to win tickets for a show we're presenting with Chris D'Elia. We're running contests to give away some tickets to go see the Impractical Jokers live punishment special spectacular happening at the Prudential Center uh, on uh, uh, on eleven three on November third. We're giving away a ton of contests to a ton of different stuff, a ton of shows uh, going on there. Uh, we have a p- bunch of news going on. We have some interviews going up with some really fun luminaries. We did a, a feature on Nipsey Russell this week wow. as a comedy game changer it's pretty great uh, yeah we're it's like gonna, 70s week on, dude we're tapping back all to the old guys Dipsy Russell Norman Lear we got them all so definitely go to the website uh, if you want to drop us a line to, to share some information to request Bram return sooner than uh, than expected email us at podcast at the laugh button dot com uh, go to Bram's our sister was yeah I was about to plug a little metalinsider.net yeah. go to metalinsider.net our sister we have a contest site. running uh, starting Friday you're going to be able to win a uh Dimebag Pantera guitar. Dimebag Daryl. Yes. Nice. Yes. If not personally in- his. <laughs> well, He's not around to endorse it, but it is a Dean guitar that you can enter to win. There you go. So, yeah, we got that going on. Also, we're, uh, Bram, you're on the socials. Do you want to give out a Twitter handle? Uh, a lot of Metal Insider. Okay. Follow Instagram, at- Metal Insider. Twitter, Metal Insider. <laughs> Facebook, Metal Insider. basically Metal Insider into a browser. And if you want to follow my, my, my Dude, nonsense. Your, tw- your Twitter's great because you have a lot of great one, one-liner puns. My nonsensical puns. one-liners, you can go to Bram Filter on Twitter. <laughs> 
I highly recommend following Bram on Twitter. He'll make you goof. He'll make you laugh uh, every once in a while. Uh, for us, go to thelaughbutton.com. You can uh, same thing with the socials. Anywhere you can type in the laugh button, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Snapchat. Uh, me personally, you can find me at I am Clancy Instagram on Twitter. We're on Instagram, buddy. I said Pinstagram. Pinstagram. I combined Pinterest and Instagram. I'm I'm inventing social <laughs> networks, guys. That's what I do. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Thanks for being on the show, talking about comedy. And uh, once you have a Metal Insider podcast, I'll, I'll, want, I'll expect to be joining the Metal You'll Insider You'll be the podcast. first guest. Because <laughs> I'm so fucking metal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Till next time, this is the Life Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>